you ever see the commercials for that stupid ass Trumpy Bear? No. You've never seen Trumpy Bear? No, I guess not. Nope. You're gonna have to add that into the the pre-roll here. Have you seen uh, the Chia Obama? That's one of my favorites. Mm-hmm. I've seen that one. So is it just like a Trump teddy bear? Let me see if I can pull it up. Is it like one of those fucking New Japan teddy bears that's like incredibly overpriced? I'm gonna shoot it over to you real quick. You've seen those New Japan teddy bears, right? Mm-hmm. Those things are like fucking 150 bucks a pop. Jesus Christ. Yeah, dude. I shot to you messenger. So you check it out real quick. It's the people they have like, oh, I love my trophy bear. Like they got bikers and shit. <laughs> Nobody wants to look at Trumpy Bear's Show your patriotism and proudly display Trumpy on Flag Day and on any American holiday. Trumpy can even honor your own family heroes. God bless America and God bless Trumpy Bear. Trumpy Bear oh sits proudly at the front of the motorcycle for all the world to see and loves to cruise with his brother. I'm a former Marine and I'm proud to have Trumpy Bear ride by my side. I'm a former <laughs> Marine and I love my teddy bear. Everyone knows Trumpy Bear loves to go. I'm sure that's really cool at Starches. He makes my golf game great again. Thank you, Trumpy Bear. Trumpy Bear makes my golf game great again. This is the most ridiculous shit ever, dude. Order the Super Plus Trumpy Bear for only two payments of $19.95 and receive a special certificate of authenticity. Don't miss out on owning a piece of American history. Order now for only two payments of $19.95. Trumpy, the most fearless bear anywhere. Order now. Now I know what I'm getting Carly for her birthday. Trumpy Bear. I don't know why. I just looked down. I always have a notepad here. This must have been from uh, the last time I did a show with 8-Track Brown. Because one of my, my scribble notes down at the bottom just says hippie white people. <laughs> the amazing racist. <laughs> oh, hippie open. The following program is presented by the HTM Podcast Network. This is your United States of America. Speak your mind. Cross the line now, say the truth. Is it 
podcast that's got topics for days, and it'll leave you in a haze. Hosted by two mother that like to talk about everything. News, sports, politics, pro wrestling, people jumping off buildings, taco shops, top ten lists, and more. It's got one guy who likes to get high on a lot of grass, and the other guy who got shot in the ass. And now, here's your host of the Hitting the Marks podcast, Jargo and RBV. Thanks, MSG. Hello, ladies and gaijin, and welcome to an all-new edition of the Hitting the Marks podcast with Jargo and RBV. I am the aforementioned Jargo. That's my tag team partner. He's the man, the myth, the legend. He is the real RBV. Rick, welcome back to your show. Yes, Jargo, it's me, it's me, it's that order of the beat, it's Richard Bronson victory, and brother, finally, we have made it, uh, try after try, believe it, after try, the fourth time going to be the charm for our sweet 16 of the relaunch of the Hitting the Mark podcast, uh, through, uh, through, through storms, scheduling conflicts, earaches, Whatever the case might be, we're, we're finally here. It has been a battle this week, ladies and gentlemen. Of course, we, we had decided we were going to record on Tuesday, and then uh, we, we had the crazy snowstorm that hit Ohio that set RBV back a little bit, and then we were going to record on Wednesday morning, and I thought it was Wednesday afternoon, so we got screwed up there, and then we were going to do Thursday morning, and then Rick woke up not feeling well, so here we are Thursday afternoon to record the show that I wrote Monday that we were going to record on Tuesday. Tuesday. Also, it can drop on Friday. Yeah, welcome to my freaking world. I never know what goddamn day of the week it is. Well, I want to throw it in here, you know, because usually we shoot for a Monday, uh, and it, it seems more than often we end up getting that push because something on a Sunday night, you know, where you're a little more hectic at work, and uh, that was the case this week as well as Daytona. Daytona. Uh, it looks like they were driving on some icy roads out there. That was a complete disaster. Man, it was an for our abs- fans out there. It was an absolute clusterfuck at work. Um, of course, I'm in the Central Time Zone. We did not get out of Daytona 500 coverage until 10 minutes to midnight, which put us approximately seven hours behind schedule. Seven hours behind schedule at the TV station. So you can imagine how my night went there. Holy crap. Of course, I I also, I didn't sleep on Sunday night like I typically do because I got up to watch TakeOver. I guess we we can start the weekend update brought to you by friends over at JustCBDStore.com. Start with NXT TakeOver Vengeance Day. And Rick, I don't want to go through the whole card, but I I do want to talk just a little bit about the main event because I thought the the main event match between Pete Dunne and Finn Balor I thought was a very good match. I enjoyed it a lot. But what everybody's really talking about is the super kick heard around the world. Adam Cole laying out Finn Balor, then laying out Kyle O'Reilly. It seems it's the end of the Undisputed Era, baby. Uh, absolutely. Uh, so, some big waves being made there in NXT. I don't know if it's the, the talk around the world. Well, the wrestling I mean, world anyway. Is it? Uh, you know, really stacking the cards up. I, I enjoyed No Surrender on Saturday night more than I did NXT on Sunday. Haven't watched No uh, Surrender yet. How's the, Impact uh, the, doing over there? With, it, uh, Impact's, Impact's doing all right. You know, it, it they lost me a, a little bit, they, and they had to work extra hard to get me back in after the, the murder mystery wedding. Yeah, I haven't watched that, anything since the, the shooting of that Johnny they had pulled off. Uh, but I was I was very interested in, inside No Surrender, just real quick to jump on that. Tommy Dreamer was his birthday, 50th birthday, I believe, somewhere yeah. in there. And you get a, a championship opportunity, and I thought that – I know this you know, might sound a little crazy out there, but I think 
that, you know, they missed a huge opportunity in not putting that title on them. I know that, you know, we had kind of talked about it beforehand uh, in, a, in a group meeting with Hameen Media. And, and, you know, Ben had kind of mentioned it there. You had talked about it, you know, what we'd just seen happen over in Japan and, and how that sparked conversation. With pro wrestling not, Noah and the great Muda winning their right. GCA championship. Know, that would have had, you know, I, I think you, Sorry. you make that move. And you do have again. It's it's not sending ripples and and breaking barriers and all that, uh, but you have people inside the bubble and the bubble talking about impact. Right. So it would have been nice for you know to see them. And, and when you take you know when eventually you had kind of mentioned this in our conversation too. You're right. Is when you eventually have that the impact champion show up on AEW, who's people going to stay tuned in for? Who you know even if it's in. In just a little bit, Tommy Dreamer is going to hold an audience for you as opposed to who the hell is this Rich Swan guy? That great talent, incredible, incredible athlete, uh, but very generic and looks just like everybody else. A little un- underwhelming when it comes to the star power. You know, that is a hell of a question. Who on the Impact roster, if you could put the championship on anybody on the Impact roster... Who would you put it on? Who is going to hold viewers if they, they go over to TNT to face off with, be it the AEW world champion, Kenny Omega, the top heel, or John Moxley, the top babyface? I mean, really, the only option when I think of the Impact roster is Sammy Callahan. Uh, now, see, to me, you want that you want that first impression. Sammy is great, but you have you got to get to know Sammy. You know, he's got to let that character make that contact with him. Or are they going to be able to hold an audience? And, and the goal is to grow your audience and stop catering to this bubble inside this bubble that they seem to be doing right now. What you'd really have to do there, and, it, and it, you should have put it on Dreamer and then had Moose beat him. And then you roll Moose out there. I, I, even if you needed Moose to kind of make a switch, you could do that as in a passing of the torch with you know, a handshake and a hug with Tommy after that. Something very simple. But then Moose has so much charisma, so much personality. He could be able to go over there and act as a face. And even though he looks just like this brutalizing monster, that personality could get people behind him. Or, you know, he could just go the route and just be the, the dominant killer heel if you needed him to be. Uh, but you look at Moose, he screams pro wrestler. And, and yeah. he has superstar written all over him. Yep, Absolutely. I, I couldn't agree with you more on that one. Now, now back to NXT as you're talking about the, the close there, main event. Uh, yeah, it, you know, as you're watching it, you're kind of like, oh, damn, that, that just happened. Uh, but as you let it settle in, again, I, I wonder, is this the correct move for Undisputed Era? You and I have had conversations before where it's once they eventually, uh, does this solidify them that they're going to be in NXT for an extended stay? Uh, that they are not going to make the move with any of them. Because if they do make the move to the red or blue, they needed each other as a group. Yeah. Individually or two yep. of them, they do not stand a chance heading up to either one of those other rosters and standing against those superstars. Just we're talking about that visual appeal. And sure, those inside the bubble will scream all day, but oh, they're incredible in the ring. You, you go look at the effort, the movesets, the athleticism, that doesn't matter. Put, you're not put growing Adam an audience, Cole, you're not holding an audience. I love Adam Cole. Like he, He's one of my favorite professional wrestlers, but put him in a ring with Drew McIntyre or Roman Reigns, and immediately you will understand why Vince McMahon does not want Adam Cole on the main roster. Well, you, you put Adam Cole in the ring with, with the... 
But Sammy, it, you know, Sammy's bigger than he is. Oh, Sammy Zane. Jesus Christ. Zane. I th- I, my brain went back to impact. I was on Sammy Callahan. All right. I'll expose <laughs> myself here. I couldn't think of his last name. I had Callahan on my brain, too. So that's what <laughs> <laughs> I was hoping you'd jump in with it. Yeah. I mean, it's next to Sammy Zane. I mean, Sammy's going to be bigger than he is. Funny enough, as I sit here in my, my El Generico t-shirt. <laughs> That, look at that. See, there you go. Shout out to the orphans down in and, and You know, even who the who was the name that Ben had compared, you know, that you put Cole in there, he's not going to be able to stand up to him against Mustafa Ali because he's that much bigger. I, and, and I don't at, think that's true. In height? I don't think that's true. In build? I don't think that's true. He was, Ben was making it off of a real-life comparison where he's been next to both of them. Stand by. Yeah, so if he's been next to both of them, we're not telling. Maybe not. It might not be overwhelming in height. I'm, I'm going to guarantee he's taller than Mustafa Ali is five foot ten, 182 pounds. He's bigger than that now. I'm, I'm just going off his Wikipedia. Okay. All right. Adam All right. Cole, according to his Wikipedia, which is full of shit, is six foot tall, 210 pounds. All right, but we'll throw that one out there. But then there is no chance, as you'd mentioned, if he's going to go in there and stand against a Drew McIntyre, a Roman Reigns. Yeah, I mean. Get out of here with that. Yeah, and and if he's not in there with a Drew McIntyre or a Roman Reigns, people are not going to be happy and they're not using him right. You know, so. Is is that the case? Well, no, I'm just saying. Is he really that credible to be a main eventer on that level? Um, especially out of the gate. I can see working your way there. It might take him two years to even get any kind of nod in that direction. You know, it, it's one of those things, man, because people, the, the biggest comparison for Adam Cole is Shawn Michaels. I, if you look historically, if you're kind of looking for a blueprint, but how long was Shawn Michaels in the WWF before he even got a solo push, let alone achieve the boyhood dream. I mean, he must've been in the company for what a decade before that happened. You had the two runs. You had that first brief run with the rockers. Then they brought them back. So the team was around for probably a good, what, four, four or five five years years, uh, before, before the true kick super kick heard around the world. Well, the barbershop Uh, followed with, yeah, the followed with the toss through, through the window. But yeah, he, it was a slow rise. You know, he spent a lot of time working to the IC. Uh, then multiple failed attempts at the at the world championship before, yeah, but before you tell the story of the boyhood dream. If I think about it correctly, 
Um, the barbershop window happened right after WrestleMania six. Um, and then you have the, the match for the intercontinental championship with Sean and razor was WrestleMania 10. So, I mean, there's four years in between just right there. Yeah. So I guess maybe the rockers run wasn't as long. It, it, it is funny when you go back, it just seems, you know, cause we were in our youth and when we're so deep in a professional wrestling, it, it really seems like those runs from those, you know, those such of those larger than life characters then yeah. just seem to last a lifetime and you go break it down and it might only been like a year and a half, two years. Right. Yeah. Well, time is different when you're a kid too. Like I don't understand for the life of me when it comes to the concept of time, days take freaking forever. This week has been an absolute nightmare. Here we are at Thursday. I thought it was Thursday on freaking Tuesday, man. Like, it, it, it's just the week has felt like it is going by so slowly. And then I think of something from five goddamn years ago, and it's like it was last week. Like, years and months just fly by like it's absolutely nothing, but days and weeks take forever. I don't understand it. No, oh, just just wait till you get to the point where you start telling all your old stories. Oh, son of a bitch. I'm already there, man. I'm already there. Shit, me and MSG were just talking about being on tour as when we were both musicians the other day. Goddamn bass players and how awful they are. Shout out to Nikki Bell. Um, Rick, I guess uh, now that we're, you know, 20 minutes into the show, uh, I want to start off with Rush Limbaugh. Um, Rush Limbaugh passing away yesterday. He has been battling lung cancer for at least the better part of two years now. Although it does seem that his passing kind of came out of nowhere. I thought Rush was doing very much better there towards the beginning of the year. Uh, passed away 70 years old. And Rick, the thing that is just killing me is watching some of the people on social media, some of them who I like and respect very much, who are just being absolute assholes about the passing of Rush Limbaugh. Like, you know, here just a couple of weeks ago, Larry King passed away, and there was like this general consensus of everybody putting over Larry King. Even the people who didn't like Larry King were still, they would go and they would talk about his broadcasting career, necessarily talk about his style, his longevity. Like, you find nice things to say about people, and suddenly a right-wing talk show host passes away, and people are like, yeah, I hope he's burning in hell. Like, what the fuck, man? What happened to the tolerant left? Uh, com completely disappeared. You're right. And I thought, you know, when you took to social media, and I thought you said it beautifully. You hit it right on the mark there. No matter your, your personal feeling, where you stood as, you know, side by side or opposed to his views, there is no denying the incredible impact, the influence that Rush had on his profession and politics. And he literally saved two entire platforms of radio. Talk radio was on its dying legs before the Rush Limbaugh show hit. And if talk radio was on its dying legs, AM radio was already being put into the ground before Rush Limbaugh really came along. He saved both of those platforms. We probably wouldn't be sitting here doing what we're doing if it wasn't for Rush Limbaugh because talk radio had just went by the wayside. Everything was freaking top 40. 
And you're exactly right. And for someone that, you know, when it comes to listening to the radio, however, what style that might be, you know, for the longest time, going back to high school, you know, I'd always kind of get ribbed for it because I was more of a talk radio guy. Uh, I wasn't really into sitting there listening to the latest hits and, you know, kind of rocking out in the car and all that. But yeah, I, I was more into that was where instead of listening to teachers and all that, that's where I wanted to get my information. Uh, and it exactly it was somebody like Rush that revitalized that, that pumped so much life back into just as just you said there, Jargo, it was a dying platform. And, and now you see it where, you know, it, it's, it's in one of it, it's been through, you know, one of its big boom periods simply because of what, you know, resting on his shoulders. Yeah, he absolutely. It, it was just this huge movement towards AM and talk radio. You know, it, it was crazy. I remember listening to Rush Hell. I was a kid, man. Grandpa picked me up in the car, AM 600, WMT. Listening to the Rush Limbaugh show, he was so extreme, they wouldn't even play his show live. They had to play it on a delay. And I guess that's one of the things that I wanted to talk about with Rush. And one of the things I think that just gets lost in translation, above everything else, he was a political commentator second. That was not his number one. Number one, he was an entertainer. He was a personality turned up to 11 that was trying to keep you plugged in for three hours. But unlike Monday Night Raw, he did it five days a week for three hours, trying to keep you engaged on the radio. And and, I, and if you agree with him or not, he was able to do it well. Yes. And that was the thing. He was an entertainer, number one. So there's so many of these hot takes that you listen to throughout the course of the years that are, you know, being circulated completely out of context because three-hour radio show, you're hearing a 30-second clip. But yes, he would turn himself up to 11. He would say the most lombastic things. He would go to the biggest exaggerations to engage you in conversation, to entertain you, whether you agreed with him or not. He's not so different than Howard Stern, who does exactly the same thing, just in a pop culture sense versus a political commentator sense. Yeah, same, employed the same philosophies. And, and really, you'll look at anyone who's found success in the genre you're going to see that those same philosophies, those strategies, that's how they went about their business. And you hit it there perfectly, Jargo. Compared to the pro wrestling, it's pro wrestling personified. Absolutely. Uh, you, you, you take the foundation, the very basics of of the person, of the character, the persona. You turn it up to 11. You rip the, rip the dial off. Uh, and you're set to go. You're off and running. And I, you know what? It, it, we're sitting here and, and we're kind of wondering and we're lost behind, you know, these people that are attacking this and, and really mocking his death and, and what he meant in his life. Yeah. You got to think that would rush heaven any other way. Uh, that, no. that if there is an afterlife and he is sitting somewhere and, and he's looking, looking down on or at or whichever direction he's at, whatever the case might be that he's probably chuckling because he got over on them one more time. Talent on loan, from God. I mean, that on was... A, that, that, like, immediately, within the first 10 seconds of his show, he was pissing people off. Just with that phrase. 
You know, I got some people yesterday. Somebody asked me, what are, what are you giving up for Lent? Are you, uh, are you familiar with Lent jargon? Oh, yes. I'm very familiar. Okay. So, so for those that maybe I'm not a reverend for God's sake. I'm well, a reverend I, I, and a I doctor. Guess you, you, I guess you do have to know uh, the other philosophies and, and studyings and teachings. Uh, but someone asked me yesterday, and I just simply replied. I took a sip of my Dr. Pepper. I said, you know what? I'm going to give up pretending like I care when people preach to me about people that live in the sky. And I'm, oh my God, how could you say that about God? And they, they start going off on me. I said, if you, if you, if you're such a believer and you know those are facts, why did you just assume I was talking about God? I was talking about I'm no longer going to watch Ancient Aliens on Fridays because every week I just get irritated with it. But I keep coming back every Friday. I mean, the, the whole plot basics of every episode is humans are too stupid to do that themselves. There's no way they could do that. So it just had to be the aliens. Uh, funny enough, weekend update, right? Uh, did you see the, the newest episode of Ancient Aliens? It's like a two-hour special. They kind of go through the entire series. It's like a 10th anniversary, and it's hosted by William Shatner. You've got freaking Captain Kirk himself sitting in a room with all of the people that we have come to know and love as characters throughout the course of the Ancient Aliens, and then a, a couple of them they have to bring in on Zoom fantastic two-hour special, man. For somebody especially, if you've never watched the show, that's a great jumping-in point. Wow. It, okay. I guess I'm going to have to break my my, my Lenten vow then. Uh, Can't wait 40 days to get that. Now, if you want to talk epic television, though, and we're talking weekend update, it, you know what, what brought mine together, what my entire universe revolved around this weekend, and that was Sunday night. I had been waiting since this was announced months ago. I have been waiting at the edge of my seat for this thing, and it finally, it's finally here. And it's season two of the food that built America. And I know that look you got in your face, people are like, come on, Rick, it's just food. I'm actually intrigued by this. It, it what it, it, you can go back and catch up on season one. I believe that's on Hulu right now. I know they're both available on the History Channel app. Uh, you can watch them for free there. Uh, but they go back in these brands that we have come in, you know, to we just kind of take for granted. They're part of our lives. Coca-Cola, Hershey, Post, McDonald's. You know, they're just a fabric of our society. But it wasn't always that way. Uh, these things, if it was out of necessity, desperation, accident, uh, it, there were some brutal business practices, practices, cutting people's throats to survive. And how they got by and what they have meant to really the, the evolution of America, it's simply incredible. And, and there's something, no matter what walk of life, what kind of business you're in, this is going to pull you in. There's so much that you you can learn from it. You know, one of the episodes this week, I immediately told you, if there was one of them you've got to watch, it's Pizza Wars. It's episode two of season two. And, you know, one of, the, one of a, a staple there in the Jargo household is Pizza Hut. You betcha. And I know immediately when you, you you have your pizza snobs, especially up the you know in the Northeast, oh that's not pizza. Fuck well, the em. reality, no, the reality of it is, until Pizza Hut, most of America didn't have pizza. They never tasted pizza, so it has come to define what pizza. And then you look at how they revolutionized the, the food service industry, what they brought to the, to the table. You never had food just brought to your house from the restaurant. Uh, and that actually came Domino's. They were trying to figure out a way that they, they had such small space inside and they couldn't 
uh, keep compete. up the capacity and all that. So they said, hell, we're, we're going to bring the restaurant to you. And now look at today, one of the biggest things you got, you've got DoorDash. You know, yeah. where all of these restaurants are involved in this. You know, it was, when I was telling you the story about Pizza Hut, they had gotten a, a $600 loan. It was two, two brothers in college. Uh, one of them had dropped out to, to chase this dream. Uh, they would gotten a $600 loan from their mom, and they went and, bought, and leased out an old bar that had a kitchen in it. And, and that actually, it just so happened, when you do find a, a Pizza Hut with a dining room in it now, because they are so much of the express ones now, but that look with those little, you know, the uh, checkered chandeliers and the old style booths, that came from, that's what that bar looked like. I and love it had those old Pizza Huts, man. Yeah, it, 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 they hate it, that just kind of became that iconic look. Uh, the name Pizza Hut inside of itself, they couldn't afford a sign to put outside the front of the restaurant. So they had a deal with the Coca-Cola vendor so, who would provide a, a, a banner for them, but they had limited lettering. So after pizza, they only had three more letters. So they had to come up with something to fill in there and thus trial and error and, and pitching back and forth. Finally, they landed on Hut. And there we go. We, we have the birth of one of the most iconic, you know, restaurants in the world. And, you know, you look at McDonald's, Crazy. one of the most iconic. And, and that was that, that Crocker got that from the McDonald's builder because they didn't have their vision. And he, it was anything and everything to buy them out. But, you know, that they came up with essentially the, the restaurant assembly line, which they were actually selling that. When they perfected that thing or they had it down where they believed it, they were selling it for right around $700 that time. Burger King went to their training thing. Taco Bell went to their training. So you had the birth of, you know, all of that there. Uh, I think in season one, one of my favorites is Colonel Sanders. Good old Southern boy. Uh, he started selling chicken out of his gas station. And he looked like he Mario failed Lopez. Failed. Yes. Yes. <laughs> the strapping young Colonel. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it all around, it, it's, it airs on Sundays now. There's only four in this season two. Uh, but yeah, it's it's incredible. I encourage everyone to go check it out. The food that built America. Looking forward to that. I'm going to have to check that out. Uh, I guess the biggest story over the course of the last week, which is insane because we had a presidential impeachment trial go on in the Senate. Oh, but, that's still going on? Um, well, no, it's it's done and over. Well, it is kind of oh, still is it? going on. Um, but it, it's still kind of the B story this week because the biggest story is this goddamn weather. Um, the, the, the polar vortex, the Arctic blast, it seems like those two, uh, definitions are kind of interchangeable depending on which meteorologist you want to listen to, but it's like 90% of the country right now currently under some kind of a winter weather advisory, but the ones that are really getting all the headlines right now is what's going on down in Texas. And uh, everything with the renewable energy sources and then the natural gas and nuclear. I mean, they all had issues. That Every goddamn one of them had issues because it's Texas. And the, the thing is, they say that this is, you know, once in a hundred year kind of phenomenon. But this is the second time in the last 10 years. Um, it, it's interesting, Rick, because Texas is kind of off the grid. Texas has kind of got its own going on when it comes to their energy policies. Thanks to going back to when Rick Perry was in office, they're not on the regular United States grid. They're on their own grid. And that's 
partially where the failure comes in because it sounds like there were a lot of shortcuts taken when it comes to putting in these wind turbines and not having them weatherized. Uh, the nuclear power plants and the natural gas power plants had instruments freezing. And then the natural gas power plants also had basically their lines were getting frozen from too much condensation on them. Um, there's so much to unpack here, man. But I, I guess number one, our thoughts kind of go out to our friends in Texas. Cause I know we got plenty of friends in Texas listening to us. Yeah. Everything's bigger in Texas and that includes the problems Yeah, and they are, everything you laid out there, Joker, they are absolutely getting rock and devastated. I mean, you still got large areas that, you know, went through what you went through this summer where it was lots of power and water. Uh, and just really trying to get by day to day. The problem, as I see it, is you have the right that says, you know, this is a failure in green power. And then you have the left who is saying, no, this wasn't a failure in green power. This was a failure in just power overall. And I think that they're both right. Well, uh, I, I would go a little bit further than that. Just not a failure in power, a failure in preparation. Yeah. Um, now here is the problem. The problem with this green energy, uh, and especially wind turbines, cause we have a ton of them here in Iowa, especially when you get into the Western part of the state. Oh yeah. Guess what? They have rolling blackouts going on in the Western part of Iowa. I'm sure that's a pure coincidence. Um, the problem is when it comes to natural gas and when it comes to nuclear power, there are efficient ways to store that power. It's not instant use. When you get into solar power and wind power, the, the amount of power generated is so much lower that it takes so much more time to get any kind of a backlog of the batteries. What also played into it is the batteries themselves got cold. And as anybody in the Midwest can tell you with our cars right now, when you're dealing with sub-zero temperatures, batteries use significantly more power. So originally, the wind power in Texas takes up about 44% of their grid. That dropped all the way down to 8%. They were only producing 8% of their 44%. So you have 36% of the power grid that is basically out. The nuclear and natural gas then have to start upping their output to cover that other 36%. And that is where the problems come in when you're pushing these things to 136% instead of 100% because you have to make up for the 30% that is being left over by the wind power. I know that's a lot of statistics and I'm trying to lay it out as, as clearly as I can. The problem is the batteries. And Rick, I, I kind of started connecting some dots yesterday. All right, Bill fucking Gates. There has been all these stories going on all of a sudden about Bill Gates is now the largest owner of farmland in the United States, as far as an independent individual goes. Now, I know that here in Iowa, there's a lot of cornfields that they would love to dig up just so they can put more solar batteries in the ground so that we don't have this goddamn problem. 
Now we have Bill Gates coming out and saying that we have, we, we've got to move over to synthetic beef. We've got to stop using, you know, regular beef. And he's buying up all the farm. I think he is going to tear up all these goddamn farms and he is going to put in solar batteries and he is going to put in wind power batteries all as part of his you know, oh, we got to go green. We've got to go green when the reality is I'm invested in all of these green companies and watch how much money I'm going to make off of this one. I was going to say, is it, is it coincidence that that we call it green? Cause he's worried about green. You're right, Jarko. Uh, but you know, not, not the kind for the environment, not the kind that you like, well, the kind you like, but not the kind that you partake in regularly. Uh, he's worried about that green in, in the bank account. And that is absolutely 100% where his mind is at. Uh, what really stood out to me is you're going through great statistics there, man. Always on the homework, always bringing the, the stats and the facts uh, that that they are actually accountable for 44%. That seems extremely high to me. Well, and, and everything that, and that's that I've researched in the back, I mean, it's so minimal that the output that you get from these things. In most cases, unless you're running on that large of a scale, the probably in those cases too, I mean, what – what you're investing in simply running and maintaining the, so, the you know the, these windmills isn't it just it's and the government the, what you're subsidies. receiving back what you're receiving back is just a fraction of what you're spending on these things well and and the problem is that it accounts for 44% of their grid you know when you look at and oh, that's, okay that's that's where they put them in at okay i got you well and that's that's kind of the problem right because when you look at the rest of the country this is why i i, I felt it important to establish they are on their own grid texas kind of does their own thing right when you look at throughout the rest of the country it's not 44% it's way down there it's more like 11% right not even and, and to me, but... so then when those go down 11% is a whole lot easier to make up than 44% on the natural gas and the nuclear energy options. But where you're really seeing the exposure and the failure of this green technology is that it accounts for so much of it. So if you want to go to that green technology and some of these people want, you know, 80, 90% of the grid reliant on solar or wind powered energy... This is where the exposure comes in. We're not talking necessarily about just what's happening in Texas. Looking at the bigger picture, you have to have these natural gas and nuclear power options because the renewable energy, the wind's not always going to blow. The sun's not always going to shine and you're not pumping out enough power to fill all those goddamn batteries. That is the real problem. It's all uh, sunshine and rainbows on paper, but the actual logistics of it uh, becomes such a nightmare. And that's what we're seeing. Could, could you imagine the absolute mess that just not Texas, but I mean, as a country would have on our hands here, if they were at that 80, 90% of their grid dedicated towards this. Yeah. And they're only at 44%. Imagine if it was twice that, holy shit, what the fuck would they do? The entire, the entire state would be dark. As it is, you know, there's still, you know, millions of people that are dark. The, the, it's not the answer. Nuclear power is the answer. And for some reason, whenever people hear nuclear power, they immediately think of Chernobyl and Fukushima, you know, and, and the, the disasters that were there. And yeah, there is that risk, but you're talking about 
Two, over the course of natural disasters that cause these meltdowns, nuclear power to me clearly is the answer, and it's clean. I don't understand it. I think, you know, when we really get down to it, uh, let's, let's break it down here. Uh, Joe Biden hates Texans. There is that. There is that. So let's talk a little bit about climate change because clearly we got something going on here. And you, you notice that the term global warming has kind of went away. Now it's just we have to talk about climate change. It's not global warming. As you know, like the Midwest is at 40 below zero. It's freezing in Texas. You know, they don't want to talk about global warming. They just want to call it climate change now. Uh, but even like the Thames River over in the Bay, now frozen for like, what, the second time in like 200 years? They're like 20 degrees below Celsius over there. And this river never freezes. Here we are. Polar vortex. Arctic yeah, I saw some of the footage on that, though. I mean, it, it's kind of weak what they're calling freeze over there. Well, and I feel like that's part of the thing, too, is over there, over there, you know, or down there, because they're just not equipped for it because it doesn't happen. And that's why, you know, you get two inches of snow in Georgia and people lose their goddamn minds. Oh, you get a dusting. Yeah, exactly. Two inches. Fuck. That's like Tuesday afternoon. You know, whatever. We got like 14 inches of snow on the fucking ground right now. Well, it, it. I'll tell you what's, you know, kind of diving into the story and and looking at it from a few different angles is, you know, we, we kind of talked about, you know, in the open there about the economy and how it's taking a hit. Uh, This weather is pounding on the economy Uh, is already, you know, we are seeing states uh, here in Ohio. They've lifted our curfew. You're seeing the, they're allowing the crowds back in. So we're getting to open up from the, from the COVID but, you know, you get this weather coming in where then they're prohibiting you from being on the roads. I mean, businesses, you got to think of the safety of the employees. If people are just going to be out and about, they're closing right now. Uh, so in as many areas, where, you know, here in Ohio, we've just had this for the last couple of weeks or so. You've been you've been dealing with this, these, you know, 20 below Celsius. Give me a break. That's what I'm thinking about. You know, I think about what you guys are dealing out dealing with there in Iowa. Hey, man, we uh, got, we got over zero today. This is the first day in 13 days that we have been over zero degrees before wind chill. Um, by the weekend, evidently, we're supposed to be in the 30s, and I guarantee you there will be Iowans running around in a hoodie and shorts this weekend. I mean, 30 degrees. That's 70 degrees warmer than we were a couple of days ago. I mean, you're looking at in different regions of where these storms have hit and for sales. I mean, you're seeing up to 700 million lost yeah. through through mid-January to where we are in February right now. Uh, now, what I do think is you would think, OK, you know, people might not be out and about, but maybe they're using that DoorDash we talked about. Maybe they're using the click list for their groceries and delivery. They're shopping online. Now, what's what's funny about that is you, uh, due to a, a poll with Fluent, they actually have said that 16% of consumers that in their, let's see here, uh, the online sales are up 27% just in participation. 27% more are shopping online, but the online sales are considerably down simply because with everything going on, people aren't going to work. They just don't have the money. Well, I think there's also a bit of self-awareness going on. 
where people realize that they put on like a COVID 20, just kind of sitting at home, not well, really okay, doing anything. And now we're like the- self-aware. And so there's like this big kind of fitness push going on behind the scenes. Well, I mean, even though those things, those necessities that you need, mm-hmm. you, you need your paperwares and you need food. So if you're not going out there, are you using the click list? Are you having it delivered? But in many cases, you know, there's a lot of those electronics are always a big thing. Those sales are down. It's simply because people don't have that disposable income right now. Absolutely. Uh, they haven't been able to get the work. And, and then you, uh, you just pile that on of what we've experienced through 2020. Do you got to realize we're coming up on the one-year anniversary. These things, you know, we saw these sweeping shutdowns beginning, you know, early, mid-March, right around the corner. We're about one year into this thing. What I don't understand, though, with all that said, is the market just keeps going up. Like, at a certain point, I feel like this bubble has got to burst. Well, you go back, your your market's moving so much because you got that transition of power with inside the White House. Look at Gates. You know, he's moving. You've got the railways. Buffett, he's moving. So your big, you know, your big dollar individuals, your big corpse, they're transitioning to this, you know, to the left agenda, what they're going to focus on, and that's this green initiative. Kind of like Camber and Grimes. I'm loving that. I think. Oh that's God, that is one of the, the best things in wrestling right now. I it love is. it. It's it's absolutely fantastic. Absolutely love it. Of course, of all the crazy billionaires, there it, it seems like there's one. There's always that one crazy billionaire that's kind of the outlier. You know, kind of like Bruce Wayne. Like, you know, they're like, there's all like the superheroes and then there's fucking Batman, right? And Batman has a contingency plan to take every one of you sons of bitches out because, you know, he's fucking Batman. Even himself, if need be. Yep, absolutely. And in, in the real world, Elon Musk is kind of Batman. Like, you notice like there's all these. You got to think, though, I have to cut you off real quick. I mean, how you are one wicked son of a bitch if you've got a file on it, all your supposed friends I your, know your right? super friends <laughs> that you are gonna take out if need be yep yep you know it's fucked up talking about comic books and, and this is like one of the weirdest comparisons that i've carly and i are seated there smoking a cigarette and we're talking about the whole elon musk batman thing and i'm all of a sudden i almost fell over and she's like what and i was like it just hit me that lex luthor and donald trump are kind of the same person yeah. Like Lex Luthor actually became president for those who don't know. And yeah, Lex Luthor and Donald Trump. What what were his platforms that he ran on? Were they similar to Trump's? I mean, was 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 Lex building a wall or something I like mean, that? Or, uh... Well, yeah, got to get rid of the aliens, right? I mean, like right. Lex Luthor, Carly's on a Smallville kick. All right. That's what kind of prompted this whole thing. And she loves Smallville. I love Smallville. Um, but But watching Michael Rosenbaum, as Lex Luthor is absolutely the highlight of that show. And she's like, you know, I, I kind of sympathize with Lex now, seeing like all this shit that he goes through as he's a kid and all this. And it's like, you know, Lex always was trying to do the best thing for the world in his own mind. It just so happens that all of those things benefited himself too. Right? Like it, it just, that was the way it works. But like, Lex's biggest thing was what happens when the power goes to his head and Superman decides he wants to be the fucking ruler of all the fucking humans, right? Like, 
we have to have Superman insurance. We we have to be on this shit. And there's a couple times where Superman does kind of lose his shit. And who do they go to to try to solve the fucking problem? Oh, now you want Lex's help, right? You know, and it, it's just the, the comparison hit me. It just floored me. Donald Trump, Lex Luthor, same person. Yeah, you, you got to feel Superman on that, though. I mean, the pressures of being Superman. I mean, it, it's, you're going to crack every now and then, right? Just not a fan of the Boy Scout. Not a fan of the Boy Scout. But I am a fan of Elon Musk because Elon Musk is not the typical crazy billionaire. He doesn't want to rule the world because Elon Musk is a visionary. He wants to rule the next world. He wants to rule fucking Mars, right? It's in the fucking contract. This kid becomes the fucking emperor of Mars, right? So... Elon Musk came out and he was on the Joe Rogan podcast and he said that his top recommendation for reducing greenhouse gas emissions is a carbon tax, which seems rather logical, right? May actually make these companies pay for the amount of carbon that they're pumping out into the fucking atmosphere. And suddenly maybe they would actually start paying attention to how much carbon they're pumping out into the atmosphere. Seems to make sense. But now Janet Yellen, who happens to be the new treasury secretary, uh, she had this to say on Instagram about the carbon tax. What I would recommend for the United States that hopefully we will in the years ahead go in this direction is simply to put in place a carbon tax. How are you going to staff addressing climate at the most senior levels of treasury? I will look to appoint someone at a very senior level to lead our efforts and to create a hub within Treasury in which we particularly focus on financial system uh, related risks and uh, tax policy incentives uh, toward climate change. I think climate change is an existential threat. I think we should take these risks very, very seriously. We strongly believe that every government should price emissions and uh, well that's not the only policy that's necessary that is a critical tool to create the right incentives for a transition to net zero we urge governments to take the steps that are necessary to get a transition to net zero. And carbon pricing is central to that. So the Biden administration is on board. The Biden administration is looking at putting a carbon tax on here. I'm not exactly sure why this is going through Janet Yellen's office instead of John Kerry's, since he's like the climate czar person. Um, Rick, what do you make of this? Because this, I think, could be a pretty big story going forward that nobody's really paying attention to because what happens is if these companies have to start paying a carbon tax, their profits ain't going to go down. They're just going to jack up the price of their goods to cover the carbon tax. Well, I think you know, it's, it's not really picking up a whole lot of traction. Is It, it isn't one of those over-sexy selling point headlines. It's kind of Elon Musk's thing, right? Like, he never goes out and grabs the A headline. Like, you got to go looking for to see what he's doing. 
and, and it's probably by design, you know, and then what he can get away with where people just find outrage and something so simple, simplistic. And we're still, and so many individuals still just, you know, beating down the door, worrying about their $1,400 when there are bigger issues going out. Uh, what would really jumped out to me is inside his proposal is that he wants, you know, how we're going to charge and, and implement his proposal here for the admissions tax is it's going to be a consumption or essentially a, a flat is where at the point of usage, this is where they're going to hit these companies. And I believe it, you know, inside of that, they even talk about different percentages for the size of the company. So it isn't a, a sweeping across the board, but it, they'll hit you right up front and not on the back end of this, where you might've been sitting on interest or receipts, things of those nature, right? No, see, the problem to me is Janet Yellen jumping on this. Right, because this is not an American problem. And I know that sounds almost like a hot take, but when you actually look at our emissions, they're the lowest that they've been since the 60s. Like America has become pretty self aware of this. The emissions were way down during the Trump administration. Of course, now we're, we're going to talk well, about. Shh, shh, you're not supposed to say that. We're going to talk about the lockdowns and their effect here in just a second, but. Y- Thanks to so many of the factories being closed and whatnot due to COVID scares, emissions are also way down there, um, even though you know they would rather have you not know that. But when you look at the real culprits here, you're looking at China and you're looking at India and the amount of shit that they're pumping out. The problem with the Paris Climate Accord is there's there's no repercussions. Like, yeah, this is the goal, but if you don't hit the goal, oh, well, that sucks. Like that's that's pretty much what the Paris climate accord is. Um, Musk wants to start holding people responsible, but if Janet Yellen gets on this, makes it an American thing, all you're doing is punishing American companies. This has to be a global tax. And if you're going to make a global tax, who's making that rule? Oh yeah. The NW. Well, I was going to say, uh, immediately, you know, going back into during the run for the office, you know, they had asked Biden about certain issues, you know, when it when it came to uh, admissions, climate control, uh, anything really across the board. Well, how how are you going to get these countries like uh, Korea, like China to get on board with this? And, you know, for him, and he just kind of dismissed it as, you know, I would go flex my muscle and they're going to get, no, that's not going to be the case. They're going to laugh you right out of the room. He's going to flex and, his muscle, like kissing Xi Jinping's ass, like he did on that fucking town hall the other night. Holy shit. Yeah. Uh, so, and you're right. 100% there, Jargo. This is one of those things. Okay. Look at us. We're being very progressive. We're moving forward, but you're really not accomplishing anything. What you're doing is punishing those that, aren't the the evil contributors towards this actually the ones that have been doing their part uh, America's been on board with this we have been moving in the right direction and and, and now by enforcing these you know stricter or whatever or hitting them you know in their wallets you're punishing those that that have been doing their part you're not you can't push them any further until you get these other on board and I don't know if there is an answer for that you know, outside of a full war, new world order. It's going to be have to done way behind closed doors that that we'll never see, that we'll never hear about. And it, 
this just kind of comes to me here. You, you think maybe one of the reasons that you don't have Kerry involved with this is that his name is too recognizable? That that would move that up in those headlines? That could be. That could be. Actually, running through the Treasury Secretary instead of the climate yeah, czar. Uh, you know, someone who's really no one has ever really heard of. Treasure Secretary. What the hell is that to most people, you know? Right. You, you put Kerry out there who people are going to remember. He's got a familiar face. That's a good point. He's, you know, he's got kind of those, those nicknames that, you know, is, that go along with him and those expectations. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a very good point. Um, also found this uh, article rather interesting. Um, and, and, and this is one of those things that, you know, you want to talk about global warming and everything that they told us about global warming, right? Um, well, Rick, now that thanks to the COVID lockdowns, we actually have research. And it turns out that the pollution that's being released into the atmosphere actually reduces global warming. The planet is actually warmed up since the lockdowns. And you know what? This makes all the sense in the world to me. I don't understand how we didn't just like debunk this fucking years ago. The pollution acts almost like a cloud. The cloud goes up, it blocks the rays of the sun. The rays of the sun don't make it to the Earth's surface, and it keeps the planet cooler. You eliminate the pollution, you let in more sunlight, it actually warms up the planet. Fucking duh, right? Like, how did we not think of this? This is like, you know, first grade fucking kind of shit. Like, this just makes all the sense in the world to me. Uh, yeah, I mean, I always thought, you know, that that was how we understood it. I mean, if you provide a barricade, right? So how was pollution causing to... global warming? Doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Everything we were told when we were kids, that was all bullshit, man. The whole global well, warming you know, thing was all, bullshit. It's, it, it's all about, you go back and again, you listen to both those sides, Jargo. It's about the twisted manipulation of your agenda. Right? And And your points. Fucking assholes, man. Well, I think, you know, and then when you get into, because even when you're having these conversations with these individuals, as you mentioned, uh, that we're, we're starting to get away from global warming to climate control, climate change. But even then, when you would ask them, you know, define global warming to me. I mean, as you hear it on its surface, that essentially says the world's getting warmer, correct? But no, on that, it does have, it, it, it can go up and down. It can mean... It can mean colder. It could be warm. You know, it, it's about air quality. It was it was so poorly labeled inside of global warming. And, and that's what, you know, they would manipulate it to twist and, and go at, at every direction they potentially could here. The thing that is really, really scary to me is I and, and you can hear it. If you listen to some media reports for a while, you will hear this where they are saying that the next pandemic is coming and it is climate change. That is the narrative that they are starting to push now that we all know what a pandemic is. And so now what we're trying to do is we have to connect climate change to COVID. Somehow we have to say that climate change has what caused COVID. And Rick, the sons of bitches did it. That's right. Here's the clip from CBS 17 News. Climate change means COVID. 
University of Cambridge have discovered a possible link between the emergence of the coronavirus and climate change. CBS 17 Storm Team meteorologist Brian Hutton Jr. explains that possible link. Like SARS and MERS, COVID-19 is believed to originate from bats. And a new study published last week suggests climate change was the mechanism to allow the virus to mutate to be able to be transmitted to humans. The study published in the journal Science of the Total Environment found that habitats in southern China allowed for a diverse bat population to develop. This region of China has changed its vegetation over the last century due to effects of climate change, according to the study. They analyzed vegetation and bat data from the early 20th century and compared that to today to find upwards of 40 different species of bat may have moved into the region, bringing around 100 new coronavirus types to the area. Most bats carry about three coronaviruses, the majority of which cannot impact humans. But if enough of the different viruses intermingle and mutate, they can be transmitted to humans, like with COVID-19 and SARS and MERS before it. Southern China isn't the only place impacted by climate change. Parts of Central Africa and Central and South America have also seen an increase in new bat populations. The researchers echo calls from other studies asking for economic recovery efforts to include addressing climate change. Meteorologist Brian Hutton Jr., CBS 17 News. That's right, COVID came from bats, and the fucking bats wouldn't have been there if they wouldn't have had to migrate because of climate change. These fucking assholes, man. This is such fucking bullshit. Yep, I, that's what? what caused COVID. The, the bats had to move where they were living at because it was getting too cold for them, and they settled in Wuhan fucking China. Get the fuck out of here you, you know what it, you can attack him jargo i'm, I'm gonna give him a standing ovation here bravo bravo wasn't it was it last week here on this show what, what i told you hey we, we work in promotions we work in advertising we've done events it, it, if cnn wanted to hire me wanted to call me up today and say rick we need you to change your stance and blow smoke up everybody's ass i would be perfectly down for it bravo to to this group to find a way to make this connection the, the, for, from a pure scumbag marketing standpoint, this is, this is an incredible accomplishment. So which is the better theory? All right. My theory about how Bill Gates wants to tear up all the farms and that's why we have to stop eating the beef so that we can put in more solar and wind generators and batteries or this crazy fucking Looney Tune saying that, you know, the bat migration due to climate change is what caused COVID. Which one is the better theory? I, I think I'm going to have to go... I, I, with all due respect to Mr. Gates here, but I, I think he's still in the the early process of developing uh, his his true storyline here. Uh, he's just getting out of the gate up and running here where, you know, the bat migration, that, that's main event material right there. But I do want to go back here to Gates because now we're talking and, and let's let's see what his the, his next step might be in this. And, and one of the things is we're talking about these admissions. Well, the reduction in beef, I mean, because remember that that was a serious problem. Oh yeah, their, when their, they, gas, when they, their gastral tracts because you know them just kind of farting the methane gas the that wind, they the into gases the that was being released. So what kind of reduction are we going to see in that? It's uh, in the is, Green New Deal. AOC yeah, so, was fucking crucified for the whole "we got to get rid of cows" thing. Yes. So uh, as we eliminate those admissions and we take away that layer of protection, 
uh, are we going to see? Uh, you know, uh, temperatures rising here uh, again. Now, if we get into, you know, everybody, I, I keep seeing this across social media uh, and rightfully so, you know, make sure that your dogs are not outside, but even feed the birds. F- make sure you're feeding the birds that, that are still here. Well, you know, where do we get to the point where the, these these damn birds stop migrating? Why? Why are they still here? I, I hate birds anyway, uh, so they can all just rot in hell and die. Winged rats. But. It, <laughs> I haven't seen one person like, hey, make sure, that you, you know, if you know someone that's homeless or something, check on them. Can we feed them? But no, take your left over thumb in the yard for some fucking birds. But hey, so <laughs> to the cattle here, if we don't need them for food, how long before they go on the extinct, you know, the, the extinction list? They're the endangered species, and that becomes a concern. This thing could, like I said, this is just in the early stages here for Gates. With buying up all that farmland, this this one could get wild, uh, and, and like the minks, uh, I have a feeling that you're gonna you're getting it from the get go, and we're gonna finish it, write it out to the end, right here, the hitting the marks podcast. Oh, the goddamn mink! Oh, the mink! The <sighs> the the mink, the beef stinks. The, uh, the 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 freezing bats, where it's at. That's what brought COVID to us. This is a, a, a hell of a story that we're that we're watching unfold here. It's it's crazy. Do you ever get like that feeling that it's absolutely true that Earth is a reality television show like South Park? <laughs> Truman Show. Truman Show changed my life, man. Look at the world completely different after seeing that movie. Jim Carrey's best performance, and I will fight anybody on that. Great shit. Mm, man, I still got to give the nod to Fire Marshal Bill. If you want to talk about people whose lives are a reality TV show, let's talk about 45. That's right. Donald J. Trump now 2-0 when it comes to impeachment trials. Impeachment champion of the world. Although, uh, Bill Clinton, you know, if we if we can go back and we can just impeach, like, former presidents, um, I'm, I'm pretty sure we could dig some shit up on literally all of them at this point. Literally all of them. Well, wouldn't that be something? Just like go all the way back to Washington and just start impeaching everyone. We we've, we we have the president we've, now. We've had no presidents. Yeah, we, we have the precedent now. Of course, that sounds like some 1619 bullshit, but, you know, we can talk about that some other time. President Trump acquitted again, 57 to 43. Of course, they had to get 17 Republicans to go with them in order to uh, remove Donald Trump from an office that he no longer holds. Um, but, Rick, I did get excited. I got excited very, very briefly because they had that vote for witnesses that went 55-45. And I was like, oh, shit, if we get witnesses, that means this trial could go on for months, months, because this Vanderburn or whatever the hell his fucking name is, like he is going to want a disposition on everybody. And it sounds like the biggest reason the Democrats let it go was because the first person on his list of people he wanted to talk to was Nancy Pelosi. Yep, he wanted to get her under oath, and he wanted to ask her all kinds of questions. And the Democrats didn't want that, so they decided, nope, we're not going to call witnesses. And then they were like, okay, well then, let's vote on this bullshit. And uh, President Trump acquitted again, 57 to 43. Uh, Rick, this was this was something. This I was think, something. Uh, for the Democrats' case here, I think they did cover the spread. 
<laughs> so it, it was a little bit closer than and most thought it was going to be. Uh, but it, it, again, you go back to Pelosi here, the, the, the witch that's leading the witch hunt is the irony inside of this thing. And now as we get through this, again, we're talking about those lead headlines. What's standing out on the marquee? What are they continually going back to here? And it's just beyond disgusting is this isn't over with that, that they're already looking to pursue other options, legal action, pointless attacks on former president Donald Trump. Well, and, and here's the thing that just was absolutely flooring. So this whole vote for witnesses kind of came out of nowhere, right? Because all of a sudden there was this Washington state Congresswoman, Jamie Herrera Butler, who wanted to testify about a phone call between Kevin McCarthy and Donald Trump that was supposedly took place during the insurrection on January 6th. And Donald Trump supposedly had made the comment to Kevin McCarthy that, you know, evidently these people care more about the election than you do. That was their basis for wanting to call witnesses. There is absolutely a 0% chance that in a regular court of law, that would stand. Like, there, you can't, there's no way. There's no way. How is this even on the table? Again, you know, just, they're, they're grasping, they're reaching for straws. Uh, anything that they could do to, to try to, get, once you get it to the front, though, to twist and manipulate this thing. Uh, you know, that they're, they're, they're simply going back to them calling this the darkest days in American history and, and poor, poor them are, are, are brave, courageous leaders who are fearing for their lives. Again, I'm going to continue to beat the drum and, and echo it. Get with reality. Get with, you know, the single mothers, uh, those that are living in poverty, those that have poor education systems, that live in crime-ridden areas. Those are the real problems. The people that that are looking to pay their bills to put food on the table, and, and they're up there in their little protected damn castle. Uh, again, get the hell out of here with it. And it just continues to show out of touch how out of touch these individuals are and that they're going to continue on further and further with this instead of actually worrying about what should be their priorities, which is their actual fucking job is to take care of the public, to take care of our citizens. You say that impeachment is just the beginning. CNN tends to agree with you. Here's a, a clip from uh, CNN that night. Meanwhile, the Fulton County, Georgia District Attorney's Office is investigating former President Trump and his attempt to overturn the state's result in the election there. D.A. Fannie Willis sent a letter Wednesday to state government officials asking that their offices preserve documents related to the phone call in which the then outgoing president pressed Secretary of State Brad Raffensperger to find the exact number of votes needed to overturn his loss in Georgia. Willis told Rachel Maddow last night the probe likely will extend beyond that phone call. What I know about investigations is they're kind of like peeling back an onion. And as you go through each layer, you learn different things. To be a responsible prosecutor, you must look at all of those things in investigation. To be fair to everyone involved, um, this is a very important matter, as you've already highlighted. And so, yes, the investigation seems that it will go past just this one phone call that we've discussed. And so you look at facts to see, did they really have intent? Did they understand what they were doing? Detailed facts become important, like 
asking for a specific number and then going back to investigate and understand that that number is just one more than the number that is needed. Um, it lets you know that someone had a clear mind. They understood what they were doing. And so um, when you're pursuing the investigation, facts like that that may not seem so important um, become very important. You know, Paul Butler, this may just be the beginning for President Trump. Of course, that phone call is on tape. Brad Raffensperger had the presence of mind to record that because he knew that Donald Trump would come out and misconstrue it. But you could look in Pennsylvania, you could look in Michigan, you could look in Arizona, you could look in Nevada, all these places where President Trump or members of his campaign went in and tampered and tried to help change the vote. Impeachment is just the beginning for Donald Trump. He and his lawyers are going to be in criminal and civil courtrooms all over the United States. And it's funny because in Georgia, his defense is the same as impeachment. The defense is he didn't actually mean it. It's just Trump being Trump. You know how he is. So in impeachment, he says, when I tell my supporters to fight, I don't mean that literally. In Georgia, it's the same. When I say you need to find 100,000 votes, I didn't actually mean that. And the Republicans in the Senate may fall for that defense of don't believe your lying ears. But I don't think an Atlanta jury would. I don't think that juries in these states where Trump faces civil and criminal liability are going to be nearly as sympathetic as these 44 Republican senators. Yeah, not even close. Let's bring in right now state attorney for Palm Beach. So is that going to be the reality now? Is that what is basically going to transpire over the course of the next four years? Are we just going to see Trump like fight legal battle after legal battle in state after state, whether it be criminal charges, whether it be civil charges, and, and, and that's going to be the media narrative? Like that's what we're going to talk about while, you know, we, we've got the Biden administration just kind of lurking in the shadows and doing whatever the hell they want and passing whatever the hell they want because, you know, they have the majority and they don't need the Republicans to do anything. You know, going back to episode one, you, you had brought this up. So 16 episodes ago, you would ask, what are they going to do? What is the left going to do if Donald Trump is not in office? Where are they going to generate their, their interests? Their revenue, their advertising. Is this it? it? And this is it. And when we look, we regularly talk about that drug, those magic tricks. What am I doing here in, in my right hand? Don't It doesn't matter what's going on in my left behind my back. And that's what they're doing. They're using this as a mask. Of course, when it comes to the House and the Senate, the Senate gets all the headlines after the impeachment is over. So Nancy Pelosi has to find a way to keep herself relevant inside of the media. And now we have Nancy Pelosi calling for a 9-11 style commission to figure out what in the hell happened at the Capitol on January 6th. The ironic part of all of this is Nancy Pelosi is the one who is calling for this commission when Michael Vanderveen wanted to call Nancy Pelosi as a witness into the impeachment of Donald J. Trump to find out what she knew when she knew it in regards to the National Guard and why they weren't in Washington, D.C. on January 6th because of a conversation between Nancy Pelosi and Mayor Bowser of D.C. I think he, this, it's just, does this, do you believe this has any legs on there or is this her spouting off looking for attention again? As you said, all eyes weren't on her. The light had shifted. Yep. The spotlight I, I had shifted. I think that's what it was. 
Pelosi so always quick. has to have the spotlight, one way it, or the other. It's an attention grab. She realizes this isn't going to go any further. She doesn't want this to go any further. Just seeing as we didn't see what the witnesses, because they're not going to expose their own business. Yep, exactly. And and what she can do in presenting this, she isn't going to wholeheartedly f- push forward for this thing. She's going to let it die on the table, as we've seen over and over. But then they'll, they'll twist it and manipulate it, where it was an attack against her when she, when she was calling for uh, a righteous movement. But she wanted no part of because she's going to overexpose her business and her ass is going to be right out there with you. Yep, exactly. Exactly. Um, and I guess that kind of brings us to the media. And this clip, I have seen it kind of circulating a little bit, but not nearly as much as it needs to. Uh, Michael Vanderveen, who is the attorney for Donald Trump, who was incredibly overly animated and like you would have thought that he was on a Matlock TV show as he was giving his arguments before the Senate, uh, so much so that uh, I forget his name now. Uh, the gentleman that was residing over the Trump had to remind uh, Mr. Vanderveen that, you know, inside of the Senate, there is a sense of decorum. <laughs> you know, I, I, I thought it was rather entertaining, but uh CBSN uh, had an interview with uh, Michael Vanderveen after the Im- acquittal of Donald Trump. And this poor girl, uh, number one, CBSN is their streaming service. All right. It- it's not the regular CBS News. Um, so you'll hear a couple of times where the reporter will make reference to, well, I just, I'm just trying to establish for our viewers, you have no viewers. You are CBSN. You are a streaming We, we outdraw you here at the Hitting the Marks Network. Yeah, I mean, come on. You have no viewers. The only time that you have viewers is when you have something super controversial that catches on in the mainstream media. This is their top-rated video of probably the last five years. I was going to say probably all time. <laughs> um, so Vanderveen loses it on the CBSN reporter. Here is the clip. I think it's absolutely fucking tremendous. He even calls the media blood sucking for ratings. This is just absolutely great shit as Michael Vanderveen basically does our job. I mean, cause really you, we, we talked before we started this up. What, what is the new hitting the marks podcast? What is it about? Like what, when we tell people like, what do you guys do? I feel like what we really do here is we deconstruct. We deconstruct the media and whatever the fucking narrative is and try to supply you with actual facts and actual information. Um, Clearly, Michael Vanderveen needs to do his own podcast because in about two and a half minutes, he fucking destroys this woman. Let's follow up with uh, with a point that you're making right now about the house managers, as you say, doctoring evidence and uh, and the argument. They didn't, de- uh, they didn't to be deny clear it. Viewers, they didn't deny it. Uh, I put it in for, front of them to be three clear times. For our viewers, what, what you're what you're talking about now is is a check mark. Uh, that's a verification on Twitter that that did not exist on that particular tweet. Uh, a 2020 that should have actually read 2021, um, and the selective editing you say of, of the tapes is that how wait, is wait, that wait, the wait, doctored wait, wait, evidence wait, 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 of what you're speaking? Wait, that's not enough for you. 
It's not okay no, not everybody. to doctor Sir, a little bit of evidence. Respectfully. respectfully. Your question is I want turned. to be clear for our viewers. Listen, what I has to happen is I want to be clear for our viewers the, about the what exactly you're saying start, when you say doctored evidence. The media has to start telling the right story in this country. The media is trying to divide this country. You are bloodthirsty for ratings. And as such, you're asking questions now that are already uh, uh, set up with a fact pattern. I can't believe you would ask me a question indicating that it's all right just to doctor a little bit of evidence. Your coverage is so slanted, it's got to stop. You guys have to stop and start reporting more like PBS does rather than uh, 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 a TV news show that doesn't have any journalistic integrity at all. What I'm telling you is that they doctored evidence. And I believe your question says, well, it's only a Twitter check and, a, and changing a year of a date here. They switched the date of a Twitter a year to try to connect it to this case. That's not a small thing, ma'am. The other thing they did is they put Sorry. a check mark on something to, to make it look like it was a validated account when it wasn't. And when they were caught, they didn't say anything about it. They didn't even try to come up with an excuse about it. And that's not the way our prosecutors or our government officials should be conducting themselves. And the media shouldn't be letting them get away with it either. You have won the acquittal of your client. Yes, and if you'd I like did. to continue to talk about this conversation, we can have that discussion. I don't need but, to. Uh, but for me to ask a question, a, a, slant, a, question, a slanted question, viewers, a slanted question that was set up question. to say it's okay for them to cheat. That was your question. Isn't it okay for that. them to cheat? I didn't it's say just that. a little bit. You no. said, to be fair, it was it's only fine. a check on the Twitter. Not, That's what you said. You got to live by your word. I, uh, That's I, the problem. The media has to start living by the truth and not try to right. create a narrative. Michael Vanderveen. Yeah. Thank you for Citizen. joining us. I, I do appreciate. Yeah. Okay. I, I see you taking off your microphone now. That was President Trump's defense attorney, Michael Vanderveen. Rick, he's absolutely right. And. The thing is, if this was a real trial, and that's why I have, I've made the comment on this show a couple of times that this is not a real trial, all right? A real trial, you have attorneys for both sides, you get to dispose of all kinds of witnesses, you get discovery, you have a, a journey of a jury of your peers that is supposedly impartial. This jury was certainly not impartial in any way, shape, or form. The attorneys don't get nearly the clearance. I, th this is a dog and pony show is what it is. This you know, it's really reminded me of. Did you have one of these back in, in high school or whatever the case might, you know, the class might be? Uh, ours was in an, an environmental science class, uh, but w we did uh, a trial with there. So you had like some of the students were, were the jury. Someone was named a judge. You had your, your that's pretty much how the team, your defense team. Yeah. Yep. It, 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 it's an absolute fucking joke. If this was a real trial, all right, as soon as the doctored evidence, the edited video, the edited tweet, you know, it, the, the stuff that she says, you know, supposedly or reportedly. And he's like, wait a minute, that's not enough for you. They only doctored a little bit of evidence. That's not enough for you. If this was a real trial, 
and you are doctoring evidence, you're calling in third-party witnesses who didn't actually have the conversation, who just you're heard saying. about the conversation, right? If, if any attorney on the face of the planet brought that case before a real judge, number one, the case would be thrown out, the attorney would be called into contempt of court, and they would probably be fucking disbarred. Reported. Reportedly summoned. Reportedly. Reportedly not accidental. According to reports, President Trump was reportedly, who reportedly spoke to the guard. And was widely reported. Media reports. According to reports. Reported. Reportedly. As any trial lawyer will tell you, reportedly is a euphemism for, I have no real evidence. Reportedly is not the standard in any American setting in which any semblance of due process is afforded and accused. Reportedly isn't even, here is some circumstantial evidence. It is exactly as reliable as, I googled this for you. That's the reality of what happened at the impeachment of Donald Trump part two. If this was a real trial, these house managers that presented this evidence would have been disbarred and not allowed to practice law anymore because they doctored evidence to present it to the American people. As for why Donald J. Trump should be removed from an office that he's already left and never allowed to hold public office again. Uh, it was it was one hell of a shit show. It was a wild circus, and that's what it was meant to be. Ratings rager, right? I mean, it's just absolute Fucking lunacy. Absolute lunacy. Oh, by the way, uh, going back to my high school uh, court hearings there, I, I was I was the head representative for the logging and developing companies, and we won. So they could, it was okay to rip down that rainforest. Man, maybe we can get you on the pipeline case. We won, baby. The following announcements have been paid for by the sponsors of the Hameen Media Group. Hameen Media Group brand management is taking over. Social media, video, audio, design, marketing, and more. HMG Brand Management is proud to be partnered with Vince Russo's The Brand, Stevie Ray TV, Rip Rogers' FR Podcast, Goldilocks, Big Vito Brand, The A-Show starring Aaron Stevens and April Hunter, The Two-Man Power Trip, and now, Angelina Love and Velvet Sky, the beautiful people. Search for all of our HMG brand management partners on your favorite podcatchers, YouTube, and of course, Patreon. Support your favorite HMG ring veterans by visiting ProWrestlingTees.com, Dr. Man Beast Ted McNailer, Recot Papadon, SCG Search from Big Sal, Chris Silvio, Stevie Richards, and of course, the Ayatollah himself, Ben Hameen. Hey, bro. Wake up with the official Vince Russo coffee from Broaster's Coffee. Medium roasted, Nicaraguan blend with chocolatey notes and a smooth finish that'll have you ready to go, bro. Available only at thebroasters.com. For a flavorful hashtag RBV fitness foodie experience, visit zorosoliveoil.com. Zordos ultra premium extra virgin olive oil is exclusively sourced from the Zordos family private 100 year old olive groves in Greece. Taste the difference and visit ZordosOliveOil.com today. StevieRichardsFitness.com For the most affordable and effective home workout program that'll give you results real results. 
12 and 16 week resistant band programs are available for instant download now at stevierichardfitness.com russosbrand.com where the pros are pros bro get the most valid takes in wrestling from the pros who live it visit russosbrand.com subscribe to Hacker Hameen and Hameen Media Group on podbeam.com and visit patreon.com backslash Hameen Media Group we now take you to your featured HMG presentation. You know, it's really kind of weird when I do the Hameen media clip and it's you talking. It's like, it, it doesn't even actually feel like we went to a break. It's kind of weird. Oh, I could have just done it live then. Yeah. Well, good job though. You know, I, I, I like it. Uh, Huggleberry, let's talk some HTM sports. And man, I tell you what, this is a weird week in the sports world because now we're, you know, we got the NFL season is over. Um, and the, the craziness hasn't really started when it comes to free agents and trades and the draft and everything. We're kind of in that lull after the season. Uh, we're in the dog days of the NBA season as we approach the all-star break, the NHL, you know, about halfway through their season, just right in the thick of things. We haven't quite made it to spring training yet. There's a whole lot of nothing going on in the world of fucking sports right now, man. We, we didn't have a lot for, for HTM sports. And I even told you at one point, I said, let me try to find something. You came back to me. This is when we were going to record yesterday. And I said, man, I, I, you're right. I don't have anything. Uh, but we can't. Let's do this on the fly here a little bit. I, I do have a few things that you and I haven't talked about off air. And I, we'll, we'll bring it to the airways here. Uh, we're, as we say, you know. Right now, we're in that lull. We're, we're waiting for those big booms across the board in, in all the major sports. Have you picked up, uh, I know, you know, the, all the ex- usual excitement around March Madness. Have you seen how the tournament is structured this year? It, it's going to have a completely different look than we're used to uh, as they are playing the entire thing out of Indianapolis and those surrounding areas. Uh, but we're not going to have the same days and, and the same schedule that we're used to. Like the final, fo- they're going to play rounds back to back without those breaks. Uh, our, our championship game, I believe, is going to fall like on a Tuesday this year instead of the traditional Monday, which is going to move the final four to Sunday. Huh. Uh, so yeah, it's, it's going to be pretty yeah, interesting. I didn't really put much thought into it until yesterday. I was sitting with a client and we're laying out our promotional material for March and we get to March madness and they brought it to my attention and it was like, wow, this is going to have a much different look than we're traditionally used to. Huh? That's interesting. No, I hadn't heard any of that as of yet. Um, what we will do, I will uh, follow up on this and we'll, we'll talk about it next week because of course, I, I work at a CBS affiliate, and CBS always carries the the entire tournament as well as the Final Four. Um, so that will affect our schedule at work as well. Um, oh so, yeah, I mean it's a trickle down effect. Yeah, of what it's um, gonna what's gonna mean for people like you for for MSG. Um, and, uh, and especially our sales team, because you can bet that they've already been hard at work trying to sell those games. And now if you're going to move around time slots, that absolutely could affect uh, local ad revenue as well. Absolutely. Uh, the other big one that you and I hadn't, hadn't spoken you know, privately about or really in any of the circles, and this kind of ties into sports and politics, what were your thoughts, You know, a little bit of that backlash with Cuban down there in Dallas with the Mavericks? He hadn't been playing the national anthem before games. You know, here's what I don't understand. Uh, it's been that way all season. Like, and I, it just finally got some steam behind it. Like someone finally noticed. I mean, they've right. had what? They've had over a dozen home games. Yeah. Like I, I, 
I don't understand why it became an issue like all of a sudden. I'm not sure what what necessarily prompted that. Um, I don't like it, of course. Um, I, I like the anthem being played before all the games, but... Uh, Cuban came out and he explained why they weren't doing it. He was doing it in support of his players and at at the player's request. Uh, I'll tell you what I dislike even more than the Dallas Mavericks not playing the national anthem before the games is the NBA forcing the Dallas Mavericks to play the national anthem before every game. I, I, that I dislike even more than them choosing not to do it originally. Now you see, I, I kind of I'm flipped with you on this one. Uh, I'm I'm okay with them as as a franchise choosing not to. Uh, you know he is he's kind of representing his players there, and I do. You know, let's remind everyone. You know, back in the day, you know, really growing up, it wasn't as common. It wasn't every game unless you were at baseball. I mean, that was really a part of a baseball game. Is yep. it's, that you you have that huge presentation. You had a special guest out there to get the game going. America's pastime, but in the NBA, the NHL, the NFL, y- you didn't see that regularly. It was only those big marquee spots. Yeah, the is, NFL thing is actually fairly new. Well, it goes back to you know just post nine eleven, and a lot of that had to do with the government going to the NFL, and you can you can track the money trail there. Yep. There were funds paid. And the government buys a lot of those tickets from the NFL when you see these, you know, military member initiatives. You know, this this isn't the NFL just being, you know, gracious and, and handing these out and, and supporting our troops. They're, they're getting a kickback on this as well. And it was there to try to inspire and rally, you know, the citizens as a nation. Right. The, the sweeping patriotism. And I think, you know, in that we have forgotten that it hasn't always been that way. And we kind of get lost in what's going on and it. And do I believe that, that Cuban's trying to make some grand political statement here that, that he is anti-American? That's not the case at all. I mean, you go look at the support, what he has done. You know, it, we we, too, we talk about truly being gracious and supporting and charitable acts towards the military. Uh, he's he's got a list a mile long. So this is one simple act. Cuban now, is, on the- is is one of those weird kind of billionaires where I never really know where that guy stands. He seems like he's kind of all over the board. Like everything is a, its own unique situation them, to mark. Keep them on their toes, right? And it, it should be, you know, blanket answers aren't always the answer. But I mean, I him more so than any of these other like you know mega billionaires that live in you know the limelight. It's like you really have to ask Cuban a pointed question if you want a real answer, because otherwise everything is circumstantial to Mark Cuban. Is it, we're comparing our millionaires to uh, superheroes and villains. Would, would Cuban be like the Riddler? Um, hmm, that's a good question. I think on it for me. But on the other side of that, I, I do agree with the league because they're just simply enforcing something that's been on their books. It's in the rules. So I mean, wh- wh- where's the issue there? They're just enforcing their own rules that all parties agreed with. It, I guess I missed the part where that was actually a rule. That was yeah, it's actually it's it in is, the collective bargaining agreement. It is it is mandated that all teams will play the national anthem. Oh well, then I guess that changes my opinion on it a little bit, actually. You know, and I guess you could go back to you know your thought process there, Jarko. Is okay. Is that the right rule to have in place? That's another discussion. But right. for the time being, it it is inside of their agreement. 
You know, I kind of want to say Tony Stark. Like I, Iron I, Man? I, yeah, I kind of feel like cause he's 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 a bit, you know, lambastic. You know, like I could see if Mark Cuban was a superhero, I could see Mark Cuban telling him, you know, everybody, like, yeah, I'm a fucking superhero. Deal with it. Yeah, I, I, I'd be, uh, I would not be shocked at all if Cuban actually owned an Iron Man, a, a, a functional Iron Man suit. That 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 would not surprise me either. Um, is Mark Cuban like probably the wokest owner at this point? Like, it seems like he is really in touch with his team. Like, not necessarily however he feels about a situation, but if that's how the team feels about the situation, then maybe I need to take another look at the situation. Like, he seems like he is pretty woke with the culture. And he, he seems that way across the board. Yeah. Even when you go league-wide, when you look at their marketing strategies, you know, who do you go to is, okay, where is the NBA going? What is the directive? It seems like Cuban is really at the forefront of that group. He understands that their that their audience is the cable cutters. You know, they're the cord cutters, whatever the case might be. He knows that they have to reach them in, in different avenues, that they are going to use social media. They need to start looking at these streaming services, these alternatives. He understands that they need to approach that their philosophies of the of their marketing and their merchandise, their apparel, the globalization of the game and how it's viewed differently around the world. And it's just not if you just not with him being a team owner, it's in all of his businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And and what he's done there. Is you know when he is talking, let's say that we were going to we're gonna pl- we're gonna unplug Gates from the situation there with the farms in the Midwest, and you plug in Cuban. We're talking about a whole different perspective that people have on a situation. Absolutely, and how we're listening to what's being said, how we're processing that, because Cuban has he's been wise enough to put himself on that cutting edge. He is one of those. He's the the cooler millionaire. He's the top owner, right? Like he's, he's the guy that if you're looking for a comment from an owner, Mark Cuban's the guy that you're looking to, right? Yeah. Essentially. Yeah. In the Uh, NFL, who is that guy? Is it Jerry Jones? I think for, in many cases, yes. But I wonder if they're beginning to move away from that. Cause you look at Jerry Jones you want that, you want that look, you know, Cuban you know, middle age, he still looks, you know, he's not always in the suit and tie. He doesn't look corporate. You know, he's, he's got the wrinkly polo untucked on. <laughs> and a lot of times, you know, he's out there with the players, as you said. And you talk about who do you want to go play for? You're looking for somebody like that. It's one of those crumply old guys that are so out of touch with what's going on. The reason, you know, in the NFL, when we all these debates over the Rooney rule, why aren't we seeing more African-American coaches? You know, we talked about it here because you're not going to change the mind of the typical NFL owner. Well, and that's kind of where I was going was, I mean, you know, just compare Mark Cuban, Jerry Jones, kind of like, you know, the, the owner's focal points when it comes to those two leagues and just look at the comparison between the two guys. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of things that they have in common. They both absolutely love the limelight. If you want to comment on the team, they're probably the most involved owners with their individual teams and especially with personnel decisions. But that's pretty much where the similarities end. I mean, you have two completely different outlooks on the world, and I feel very much that way with the NFL versus the NBA when you look at the two leagues and how they're set up. Yeah, it, you know, it's about that perception. I was actually was as I was sitting there shoveling today, and so many thoughts kind of going through my mind. I was really looking at uh, some marketing aspects and thinking of marketing aspects with the Hamin Media Group. 
and some of our tactics and different angles. And I'm thinking, you know, who of, of our pros, you know, who is, who could be that standout marketable guy? It really, I mean, obviously, you know, so many people immediately go to like Ben because he is that over the top personality people actually love, but is that our, is it a connection? Is there a connection we're missing or someone like a Chris Silvio who can put over the product is, you know, instead of using, you know, let's just attack it or go over the top with it, but explain it. That right. is going to talk to that, that younger base who really wants to enjoy AEW, but we got to continue to educate, you know, and, and talk about the flaws and why things aren't being executed properly. I think it's Stevie, but I think know. Stevie's good, and yeah, I, I think across the board we, we've got so many different flavors oh, yeah. and styles inside of that. Absolutely, that we can hit those different demographics there. Uh, even you know how you know, Beast is very tactful in how he explains mm-hmm. things. Yep, and he, and you. You know, you, you get those different, you see those different personalities shine. And I think it's incredible what we've got, uh, even from the pros down to our, you know, our veterans down to just our industry professionals. Uh, we've got so many different personalities and how we approach things and in our, in our outlooks. Yeah. And, and then there's people like me who, you know, find these weird stories of people that I don't even know their names, but I feel the need to take a shot. And uh, that, that's kind of where we're at as we wrap up things this week. Um, this chick, um, lady, ma'am, woman. I, I was going to say, I'm going to start a running total. I've already got her name logged. I've got the story logged uh, for, for our 2021 hitting the marks end of the year. Our Karen of the year. We have our front runner. We have our, our first nominee here. This is a total Karen move. Uh, she is the daughter of the man who made the original Vince Lombardi trophy and she wants she demands she needs an apology from the goat for tossing around the Lombardi trophy let's let's throw it over to the crack pot of the week it might have made you catch your breath or maybe even guffaw ah, Tom Brady throwing that Lombardi trophy across the water at that boat parade in Tampa. But tonight, a Southwest Florida woman is telling our Leslie Delaspore why she does not see this as a laughing matter at all. One thing about Tom Brady, he knows how to throw and catch a football. But tonight, one Fort Myers woman says Brady's latest throw insulted her family's legacy. I have a big history of this trophy being made by my father, and it's such an honor. And I know all the craftsmen that made it when my dad was there also at Tiffany's. And it takes a lot of work, a lot of hard work, um, a lot of hours go into it. It just really upset me that this trophy was disgraced and disrespected by being thrown as if it was a real football. You heard that right. Lorraine Gross's father, Greg Gross, was the master silversmith at Tiffany and Company that crafted the world famous Vince Lombardi trophy back in 1967 until his retirement in 1994. Gross tells us she's upset because she knows all the hard work that goes into making this coveted trophy awed by the world. I, I didn't sleep for the past two nights because of this. I was that upset because I, I know the, the passion that goes into this trophy and how my dad and all, all his fellow silversmiths are so proud to make this. I've seen this trophy being made at the factory in Tiffany's. My father did the seams. He had to chisel the seams um, by hand 
Um, there is a newspaper article that shows him working on that trophy, uh, chiseling it, um, and the, uh, the ball is hand-formed as the base is as well. Rose says she's not a football fan and doesn't pay much attention to the game, but she watches it till the end for one specific reason. I only watch the game to watch the trophy come out, and I like to see all the the owners and the, and the and the football players just hold it up with such pride, and and just hold it up and show everybody. And it's just I get goosebumps. Like right now, I'm getting goosebumps from it because it's it's I'm very proud. And tonight, Gross has one message for the seven-time Super Bowl champion. This has nothing to do with your athletic ability whatsoever. It has everything to do with disrespecting a highly coveted trophy that a lot of work goes into by the Silversmiths and all the other team players. I personally would like an apology, not just to me and my family and the other Silversmiths, um, but to the, to the fans, to all the fans out there, all the football fans, the other team players. In Fort Myers, Leslie Delaspore. Fox 4 News. Rick, like you can tell that the fact that she is the daughter of the man who made the Vince Lombardi trophy, that's it. That's all she's got, man. That's uh, all she's it, That well, and it, her cats. It, that's it, all she's got. Much, you know, it was the, the crowning achievement for her family, for her father. Uh, who, who, who was the ones that crafted this? I can't think of the name off my head. I watched this clip probably four or five times. Uh, I laughed harder each and every time. Was it Tiffany's? Yes, Tiffany's. Tiffany's is the one. Uh, they they did the original. The gentleman here in question, her father. He was he had a hand in crafting the Super Bowl trophy for every year, like up to like ninety six in his retirement. Correct. Yeah, and, and and it's a hell of an accomplishment, and like that's really really cool. But I mean, like she also says flat out in here, like she doesn't watch football. She doesn't even like the game. She just wants to see the trophy. Like this yeah. is literally what this woman lives for all year is just to see the trophy that her daddy used to make. Yes. Her dad used to make it. She doesn't understand football. She is not a fan in any way, but she tunes in simply to see the, the owners and the general managers and the coaches holding what, what her father took such pride. And I think, and I think, yeah. You know, if you take it out the such of the negative narrative and, and her attitude, tremendous story. That's what we should. That's what they should have been known for. If anything, her here, what Tom Brady did pales in comparison. It doesn't even affect anything. Her going public and just throwing a temper tantrum like this—that is what tarnishes the legacy of her father. She's the one responsible. She should be the one apologizing to him. And the thing is, it's Tom Brady. That's the only reason this is a story. If Gronk would have tossed the Lombardi trophy over the other boat, nobody would have said anything. They would have been like, oh, that's just Gronk being Gronk. It's the fact I, that I don't it was even Tom know, Brady. I don't even know if the photo ever surfaces. Right. It's the fact that it was Tom Brady. And there's another story out this week. Tom Brady is having a minor knee surgery. He's going in. He's just having a, a little bit of cartilage cleaned up around his one knee. And Rick, I would be willing to bet at least 70% of the NFL players inside of the league are going to have a more major surgery than this over the course of this off season. This is a story because it's Tom Brady. 
Like, because you're the goat that, you know, even you go in to get your fucking teeth cleaned, it's going to be the fucking lead story on Sports Center tonight. It's absolutely fucking, it's the Trump thing. It's exactly the same thing where they're just, now we have become obsessed with Tom Brady. And it's, it's kind of interesting and a little weird because Brady never had this. Like when he was with the Patriots, it was all, you know, just do your job. And you heard about things on the field. And even the controversies around Brady were stuff on the field. You didn't hear a whole lot off the field. He wasn't going out drinking avocado tequila with his buddy Gronkowski on the streets of Boston, you know, but now in Tampa, you're, you're getting loosened up a little bit more uh, happy go lucky Tom. And now the media can't get his name out their mouth. Do you think he might be going through a little bit of a midlife crisis there? <laughs> Picked up, moved to Florida. He's out. He's partying now. He's he's chucking trophies. I mean, he's out. Of, he's obviously out of control, right? It's fucking crazy, man. Yeah, you would think that you know Tom Brady just became Dennis Rodman in 1997. Like, what the fuck what's, just happened? What's kind of you know what's funny about it too is you look at how the the media is handling this thing, and and again you you look at the media outlets. That they, they do seem to lean to the left, and it's no secret that Tom goes to the right, right? He leans right. So it was almost as if you know, going into the Super Bowl and and for him to get over go number seven, it was it was a, it felt like a baby turn, right? He was turning, but damned if they're going to let that happen, right? They, they are trying to vilify him, and, and they're trying to bring up all this speculation that's going to swirl swirl around him, like you said. Uh, he's pretty much going in to have some oil change. It's the equivalent, just some general maintenance and wear and tear from a very dangerous high impact game. Do you you follow Brady on social media at all? Not really. I'm going to have to send you this video that he put out yesterday. Um, and, And it is basically the message of the video is keep all the receipts. And it shows all these audio clips from like the first 12 weeks in the season with all these big sports personalities just burying Tom Brady about how he's washed up, he don't have it anymore, this team's going to be lucky to make so the playoffs. pretty much coming from talking heads. Yep. And even some like NFL players like on the field talking about, oh, you, you know, he's, he's just one hit away from, you know, an arthritic breakdown, you know, go give it to him. You know, they just happen to catch on camera, like for an NFL network kind of thing. But it's like two and a half minutes of people just talking shit about Tom Brady. And it just basically says, keep all the receipts. And it's just like, he is a cerebral fucking motherfucker, dude. Like, do not give Tom Brady billboard material. Don't let him be able to put nothing up there to motivate that fucking guy. Because he'll be back here again next year. Fuck. You know, there is one thing that is going to be happening in the NFL that's going to be a big story, um, and it's not Carson Wentz going to Indianapolis, although I I feel like that is a a fairly good story. You know, we get to look forward to uh, Carson Wentz and uh, um, Trevor Lawrence. That should be fun. Um, Plus, you know, maybe the Colts have a quarterback for more than a couple of years. Maybe they don't, too. Well, it'll be interesting to see how that plays out. But the big story to me is they came out and said the salary cap is dropping. The salary cap is going to go down next year, and there are a lot of free agents that are going to be on the market. Uh, A lot of these free agents are not going to get paid 
because teams can't afford to pay him. There are going to be some really good players that go on the cheap this offseason, and I think that's going to be a big story to watch. And uh, you, you know one of those teams that's going to be able to sign a whole bunch of those free agents? The Tampa Bay Buccaneers. They only have 30 guys under contract right now. They've got all kinds of cap space. What's going to be interesting though, with that drop, what you'll usually see is you won't see these long-term deals. You're going to see a lot of short-term with these players expecting yep. and, and wanting to be able to... Two-year deals, you bet. Right, at, at top, because when this thing does make an upward swing, they're going to make sure that they're on that market with it. Let me ask you this, though, because I, I was looking into this, and it's going to be a little bit tricky going into... That first year, which I mean, this could end up being like a positive for some of these teams, like Pittsburgh, who is in salary cap hell right now, yeah. with what they're gonna, what they owe Ben. Ben, they've already been deferring this, pushing, pushing, pushing. Uh, this could work to their advantage about how these previous big deals play into the new format with a significant drop like this. Uh, you know, some of that money isn't going to isn't going to affect against this new cap because of that. Because uh, it would just spell complete disaster for many of these teams. But you're looking at teams that can spend. You're right. Tampa's in a tremendous spot. Florida should be very excited about professional football. Jacksonville, they have got all the money in the world right now sitting on, on top of the mountain there. Trevor Lawrence, you know, fully expected to be heading there. you got Urban Meyer, the new head coach. You've got all this cap money. They could get very good really fast. Well, even Miami. I feel like Miami is kind of like right on the verge, you know? Yeah, I mean, they, they were in position. You know, they just played themselves out the last week. They, they were in position to, to get into the playoffs there, though. But Especially, there is a lot of talk of Deshaun Watson ending up in Miami. You put him on that team? To, are, are they a playoff team? I, I've said, you know, they're one win a win, for, a win for last year from being a playoff team. Man. And I think, too, you, you got to really look at those divisions if, if if you're Wentz, do you feel better with an opportunity to win a division in Indy or in Philly? Oh, in Philly, most because definitely. Of, because of how bad that division is across the board. You go down, you know, you go to the AFC South now. You know, obviously there was there was a very tough competitive division last year, and now you've got Jacksonville, who is going to get better. The Titans are right there on the verge. I mean, they're two years from removed from a, a AFC championship. Yeah. They were in in the postseason. Houston's a dumpster fire, but you know. Uh, yeah, everyone's just bailing on Houston. I mean, that's. But those other three teams, you know, you're going to have competition between Indy, Tennessee, and and Jacksonville now on the rise. But yeah, everybody just bailing ship there in Houston. I mean, that thing is. You, you got to feel for those fans. Um, I'm I'm looking at JJ Watt to Green Bay. Uh, that seems to make a whole lot of sense oh, to me. Charmer. You bet. Absolutely. That, but it does. It actually makes a ton of sense to me. Um, and then when it comes to Deshaun Watson, uh, I, I've heard Miami. The other pop, possible landing spot that seems pretty popular is Carolina. Um, and I don't know, man. I'm kind of torn on that one. I, I know I'm much higher on Teddy Two Gloves than a lot of people are. But all Teddy Bridgewater does is win games. Like I, I really like Teddy Bridgewater as a quarterback, and I, I mean because it sounds like it would also cost them Christian McCaffrey to bring in Deshaun Watson. I don't think I'd do that deal if I'm the Carolina Panthers. Yeah, I think you know what you've got. You're okay with. You got other areas of concern. You know, it's not that's not going to be the position that puts you over. So. 
It'll be very interesting. As you said, there's there's probably so many players out there. They're they're entertaining so many ideas, uh, pitches to see you know what they're what they're going to get in return here. But again, Texas is a mess in society right now. Their sports in Houston are, is a mess, and it doesn't look like it's getting any better for the Cowboys either. So. Uh, let's wrap it up with a place with the worst weather on the face of the planet right now. Um, and that is Chicago. The popular landing spot for Carson Wentz was the Chicago bears. Now we know that Carson Wentz is going to the Indianapolis Colts. Where does that leave the Chicago bears and Matt Nagy and that douchebag GM they've got and Mitchell Trubisky? Um, because I don't know what the Bears are going to do next year, uh, but I don't think it's going to be good. And it, it's unfortunate because I look at Chicago, and how has that team underachieved so much? I, we're approaching 40 years, man. 40 years. Uh, you, you look at the, the, the quarterback carousel, the just – missed opportunities that they've had there in Chicago, they, they seem to find just enough success to keep hanging on to the belief that what they've got going is working, but they're not fully getting over to go you know, to that main well, event status. It's like I said, there were Bears fans this year that were pissed that they made the playoffs because they wanted to move off of this regime of the head coach and the general manager and they, Mitchell and Trubisky. They did just and, enough to bring everybody back. Yep. To to justify the, the choice and giving this thing one more run. The worst uh, so place they make- to be is the middle because you never get any better and you never get any worse. You know, at least when you bottom out, you can get better. You can get some good players, but when you're always in the middle and that's kind of where the fucking bears are. Well, and, and it leaves you in that scheduling hell, you know, yep. where you're not getting that break. You know, where you can, you know, go out and get 10 wins because you got an easier schedule. I mean, you're always sitting there hovering around that seven, eight, nine win. Now you've got Minnesota, who looks like they should be a pretty good team going into next season. You've got Green Bay, who was in the NFC Championship. And you've got Detroit, who is probably going to stink this year. But they just got a freaking haul for Matt Stafford. I mean, like, unless, you know, they're completely incompetent, there's no reason the Lions can't make some moves here over the next two to three years. And you're Chicago, and you play outside in a cold-weather sport, and nobody wants to go there because the taxes are through the fucking roof. Well, and I was going to say, you know, you look at the the living situation. you you got the the cesspool of the Midwest— Yet nobody wants to go to Chicago right now. It's weird. Absolutely. Weird. So that's going to wrap things up for this week's show. Thanks for listening. And if you haven't already, please hit that subscribe button. Then visit the platform you may not be listening to yet, whether it be the HTM Podcast Network online, hittingthemarks.com, Hameen Media online, two feeds, hackerhameen.podbean.com and hameenmediagroup.podbean.com. You can keep up with me across all social media platforms at NotJargo. Hopefully we'll have a new episode of Destino coming out here in the next couple of days because I tell you what, man, I have had like the worst creative block ever. Like just for the last like two weeks or so since the beginning of February. I don't know what it is, man. I don't know if it's this weather. I don't know if it's the COVID lockdowns. Like 
It just seems like everybody's got cabin fever, tensions are running high, everybody's just emotionally kind of pissy right now, you know? Well, I, I'll tell you a quick fix for that. Uh, you got to get back on WWE programming. No, I, I, uh, I, I, I thought you were going to tell me I need to get back on the alcohol. No, you uh, you, you go through, we got five, seven hours. This week we'll have like 10 plus hours of WWE creative. Well, fucking New uh, Japan, man. It's like they're well, running shows four or five days a week here well, all it's, of a it's, sudden. It's, it's inspiring in the case of no matter what idea you come up with, it looks like a home run in comparison to WWE. But as you are mentioning, the network's there you know, for our review shows, our, our headlines and happenings for the new Force Order. Congratulations to them. 100 episodes. Uh, so, yeah, they had great success there. You can find that over on the HMG core feed, hackerhameen.podbean.com for for ourselves, for Suck My Balls, for Star Trek, for the horror show, for the war on morons, for the right opinion. It's the affiliate page, Hameen Media Group, .podbean.com. You can keep up uh, with me, hashtag RBV Eats Out, hashtag RBV Fitness, across to all social media, at the real RBV. Hey, and coming up March 6th, this is an incredible opportunity, perfect for aspiring young indie talents, for promoters, super fans alike, over on the uh, Patreon.com backslash TMPT Empire, the two-man power trip empire. We're going to have our first Legends house party. It's a very relaxed Q&A roundtable. we got one of the most revered legendary trainers inside of professional wrestling, the doctor, another doctor. Dr. Tom Pritchard is going to be joining us. You know, you, you might know a few of his prized pupils, uh, Mark Henry, Shane McMahon, uh, Kurt Angle. And, 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 and to steal uh, his own words there, uh, this guy, uh, Dwayne, Dwayne Johnson. You might have heard of him, The Rock. Uh, yeah, they were they were all the prized pupils of Dr. Tom. So, again, perfect for aspiring young indie talent promoters, super fans. can be very relaxed. Ask the good doctor anything going to be a tremendous learning opportunity. Again, that is going to be March 6th, 8 p.m. Eastern, only on the two-man power trip Patreon channel. When you talk about Dwayne, how do you refer to him? Like, do you still call him The Rock? Or do you call him him Dwayne? Do you call him Dwayne Johnson? Dwayne The Rock Johnson? Like, he seems like he's the man of kind of a, like, just be like that motherfucker. People be like, oh, Dwayne uh, Johnson. Simply and forever for us will be The Rock. Remember when he tried to get away from that though there for a little bit? Oh yeah. It was yeah. it was everything in the world to distance himself, but it, it finally he couldn't outrun it. So he just embraced it and Dwayne the Rock Johnson. But forever, at least in my heart. Die Rocky die. Die Rocky die. We'll talk to you next week. For now, we're off like a prom dress. See ya! Watch your fingers. Enable me. Don't, Don't give up. You bad guy! Stop! Stop! Go! Trapping the blame on me I smell 